0: How are you guys doing? Isn't it? Yeah, that was pretty impressive. Um, would not it great to see the community group leaders on stage? I've been at three services getting to see them up here and just the way that they serve in the body. And then also, you know, it's incredible. These aren't all of the group leaders because of the four services here, but also the two at the hub. Uh, lots of group leaders there. It's just amazing to say, hey, we're not just going to gather as a church. We're going to scatter into groups and we're not a church with groups. We are one big group. Okay, And what we're asking, if you've never been in a group here or you haven't connected in that way, is to take that step. Take that step into community. And you may be saying, Hey, I've kind of got some relationships. I'm kind of good community. Isn't about what we get out of it. It's also what we get to give to it. Cause someone might be waiting on you, your experience, the work Christ has done in your life for you to be that encouragement to them. And so please take that step and, um, on, on your communication card, which is part of your program. Remember, fill that out. If you have questions, you can stop by out front at the at the booth that's out there, but specifically on the communication card. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it today. So you want to go ahead and fill that out. I'll mention it there at the end of the service. But we're going to jump right into to Romans chapter twelve, talking about being deeply rooted. And I know for many of you, you've been doing the 21 day prayer journal, and we wrapped that up yesterday. Or for some that started a little bit late, today's your your last day. Um, and maybe you just got a little bit delayed. You're like on day 12 or whatever. Just keep grinding through that. If you finished it, our desire is that we would build this discipline to not just read the Bible, but engage with Scripture. And so, as we've mentioned before, Version has a lot of great devotionals that are right there on your phone. You get a notification every day about it. It brings our mind, our attention. But we can continue to develop in that and engage um, with Scripture. So I want to invite you to... Do that. Also, as part of the notes, uh, there's a weekly reading that we put in there that will maybe help you. Uh, hey, if I want to read the Bible, I want to study something, I want to connect with this weekend's message. There's some verses, some passages that will help us do just that. Today, we're talking about being rooted in your walk. We, we talked about being rooted in the Word, uh, Then it was rooted uh, in worship. Last week, Brandon talked about being rooted in the work of, of Christ. But, hey, I'm willing to do the work. I'm not going to be lazy. I'm going to engage. i got gifts. i got things. I want to serve the Lord. Uh, be glad about that. Be joyful in that, following Him as this orchestra plays and everything begins to to take place in the fullness of the body, being active for Christ. And today, this walk, this journey of when you hear things like, my walk with God, or how you doing with God? Well, you know, I just want to say my walk's kind of tough right now, or it's weak, or it's strong, or I'm doing really good. I'm walking with Him. We, this is a term that's used. So we're going to define that, and what it is is it really comes down to love. You know, what's love got to do? got to do with it. It got everything to do with it, okay? It's everything has to do with love and, and we're going to define what love, you know, I mean, Forrest Gump, you know, he says like I know what love is, Jenny. You know, and so we're we're going to talk about what love really actually is. When when Paul wrote this letter to this church in Rome, he was going to change his location of, of where he was doing ministry, kind of his headquarters from Antioch to Rome. So this is a precursor to that. Some of the letters Paul wrote, he had already been to those areas, and he was writing a reminder. Sometimes it was writing, say, I'm coming, or here's a letter I'm writing to you. Um, in fact, we studied 1 Corinthians last year, which was a letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth. And Romans comes after that. Okay? We studied First Corinthians. Now we're, we're we're reading and studying a little bit in Romans for six weeks, and then we're coming back into the second letter to the church in Corinth. So, Corinthians two. So we went with First Corinthians first. It's crazy. And then Second Corinthians second. It's just absolutely crazy. God's got an order. We want to follow God. Okay. And so that's what we'll be doing. So if you want to cheat ahead or study ahead or be an honor student, you can start reading in Second Corinthians and then send me your thoughts. So I don't have to write messages. I can just read your emails. And so that'd be really, really great. But we'll be in there starting next month. But in Romans 12, you have your phones, you have your, your Bibles and you have the program there We're going to start in verse number nine. Before before we get there, I want to say why he is exactly writing this. Well, when he wrote these letters, sometimes there was an affliction. There was a situation. There was some sickness that had come into the body. And so he's saying, hey, church, hey, followers of Jesus, let's work on these things. Okay, sometimes he's calling some things out. Sometimes it's an edification that he's bringing. He's calling them up. He's calling it out. He's calling them up. But often it's because there's something going on that's causing some some disunity, some strife, some challenges. And he said, hey, 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 let's focus on what it's really all about. Because you've got to remember these are new followers of Jesus. There's this freshness that's there. And they're very excited. They're very passionate. And sometimes they can get kind of crazy. Okay? Just like all of you. Okay, The same thing has happened even within our church because we're young, growing, multiple people, lots of people coming to Jesus, new relationships with him, stirring up, getting excited about it, but then also saying, okay, what should we do? How are we de- needed to be called up and called out? So when he's calling out this sickness or this infirmity, it makes me think of like my physical Body. Like the second I get a little bit sick, like I can tell. Like I can tell when things are a little bit different. You know, you're like, okay, um, things are changing. Some of you guys are like, you know when the weather's going to change. You're like, yeah, the old shoulder, it's going to snow in about 15 minutes. You're like, you know when it's going to happen because of how you know your body. Like you know when you're sick. And and I hate being sick. Like when I'm sick, I make tons of deals and promises to God. Like, God, if you just get me out of this, like I'll do anything. Like whatever you want me to do, God. Like I just don't like it. Some of you are like, I don't actually mind being sick because I enjoy Netflix. And so it gives me a reason uh, to like chill and relax and make my husband watch the kids, you know, or whatever it is. I I know this when I started getting some lower back pain and I've had this lower back pain like eight different times. And I remember when it started to happen, I'm like, oh gosh, I knew exactly what it was. It was a kidney stone. I've had eight kidney stones, okay? But this summer, four days before my 20th wedding anniversary, I thought it'd be great to, you know, fire up another one, you know? So I grew it over a couple of year period. Nine millimeters. That sucker could have been shot out of a gun, maybe even a rifle, you know? And I'm like, oh my word, you know, what's going on? So on my 20th, you know, I got surgery. It was wonderful, just romantic. Um, but I remember when that happened, I was like, I'll do anything to get this demon out of my body. Like, whatever needs to happen needs to happen. And while you're in there, like, take out any organ that doesn't, I don't need, that could cause me problem at some point. Like, just free me. Free me of all the demons. Like, I don't like being sick. I don't like when certain things are, are not right. And, and I can be a wuss to just be honest with you. Well, don't amen that. Just smile. Here, here's what Paul's writing this letter. There's some sickness. There's some infirmities. Some people know it. Some people don't. But he's saying, hey, here's what it really needs to be about. And verse 9, he starts with talking about what love actually is and what it should look like. And remember, he's speaking to followers of Jesus. They are to be renewed in their mind and to be transformed, not conformed to the image of the world, but be transformed. The same is true with us. It says, let this love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. When it says, let love be genuine, it takes us four words to explain what in the Greek is only two words. It's Love genuine or genuine love. You can Yoda that sentence however you want. You can put it in whatever order you want, you know. <laughs> my father is he. You know, he is my father. My father is he. It doesn't really matter, you know. Love genuine, genuine love. It, it's two things. It's pretty simple. And basically what it's saying is disingenuous love is not love at all. It's a hypocritical love. It's saying one thing and doing something different. We're to love without hypocrisy. We're to be rooted in this love. We need to live out of the love that God has for us that he demonstrated in his only son and that we're supposed to display and show to other people. Let our love be genuine And even just a couple of months ago, we did a vow renewal service in each of our four services. And four couples that we view as sages in our church and our ministry uh, were renewed their vows. And on that day, we read a passage out of 1 Corinthians 13. This is something that Paul wrote where he's defining how Christ defines love. Verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. See, when I read that, I hear, like, without love, my life's pointless. I hear it as it's pointless. Verse 2, if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. I hear the word powerless. I'm nothing. My love's pointless. My love is powerless. And don't worry, the next one's going to start with a P. Some of you already knew that. Like, I wanted to be a rapper, and it didn't happen for me. So, I started a church, became a pastor, and now I put, you know, sentences together that all start with the same letter. It's amazing. Um, I'm fulfilled. You guys are like, cool, whatever, but I love it. Okay, get off me. The next one is profitless. Okay, verse three If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. To live pointlessly, to live powerlessly, to live profitlessly. I don't even know if those are words, but um, that's what happens when we don't have love. See, the absence of love is the absence of life. We've been given this genuine love, this non-hypocritical love because of Jesus. In fact, Jesus defines it pretty simply. He said there's just two commandments. There were ten, but now that I've come, there's two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love, the second's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. Genuine love from God, for God, and then genuinely love one another. See, this may sound like a simple word to say, hey, just, you know, love God, love others. Love genuinely. But we really have to drill down. It is not easy to love one another. In fact, it's not easy to love God because we love ourselves so much. We do. Even if you may say, I have some struggles and I don't, maybe you find yourself to be insecure or you find yourself like, I don't really love myself. The reality is you really want to be happy and you really want those things that even if you say, I don't love who I am, there's a, Heart in all of us like we really really want our flesh to be fed See to be a christian And I don't like even using that term So let's say it this way to be a follower of jesus It means that we're gonna have a transformed mind. We're gonna live differently. We're gonna press into this love To be a follower of jesus and and I, I like I don't like to use that word christian because it can be defined by lots of things It can sound like a religious group of people That anybody can claim but when you look at, am I a follower of Jesus? you have been around Rock Harbor a while. You've heard me say this a lot. It's a whole different thing. Because a follower of Jesus operates differently than I believe and I receive. Believe in God, received his grace. I'm going to heaven. I love God. Is different than I love God genuinely. And I will crucify my flesh. I will love other people more than I love myself. I will take up my cross daily and follow him. I will deny myself. Completely different than just saying, I believe in our receive. I've got my fire insurance. Not going to hell. Love the good Lord. Totally different than I'm willing to offer myself as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is my reasonable act of worship these are two different things two completely different things so if we're going to let love be genuine in us you know it, it makes me think of a question the question is this what has your gaze what has your gaze what are you looking at see for where we look where our affections are fixed, that's what we love. We can't say, oh, man, love you, man, and look this way. It's not like a no-look pass, like a no-look love. You know what I mean? Like what we look at, what gets our gaze gets our glory. It's getting our attention. It's getting our focus. We're not swerving from it. We're fixated on it. We can't be like, bro, you know, like, it's good. It's good. No, no, I love you, God. I love you, God. But I am fixate. I'm looking upon the world. Like, what gets our focus has our heart and our attention. So we have to ask ourselves, what has that? Hebrews 10 says that we should hold fast unswervingly to this hope that we profess. The hope that we profess this hope that we claim we need to hold fast to it for for he who promised the one that we should be looking upon Not the promises of the world or the promises of something that would fill my flesh, but of the spirit for let's hold fast to that Let's press towards that for he who promised he is faithful You know, it's like driving, right? You're supposed to be at 10 and 2 you're supposed to look straight ahead You're supposed to use all mirrors adjust them, right? Make sure all the blinkers work. Look at Make sure all the windows are de-iced, okay, scraped, cleaned, you know, ready to go so that you can be focused on what is ahead. For where you look is where you're led, right? And so if you're, like, spanking your kids, you're going to be spanking a guardrail. Like, that's how it happens. You're like, I'm not a swerver. Well, you're probably a veer. <laughs> like, I've never driven inattentively. I've heard of people that have. Um, and I know what happens, just reality. Um, but where you look is where you end up going. What gets your attention, you adjust the radio, this happens, right? Like our that's exactly what happens. And we have to be careful. You know, when I look at the Idaho Driver's Manual, I read my Bible a lot, I read this probably almost as much. Um, <laughs> when it talks about wildlife areas, which is an important part for our state, like I grew up, you know, in a state, uh, Kansas, where it's like, I mean, this section is like, don't hit cows. Somebody owns that cow. If you hit that cow, let's eat that cow. I mean, it's, there's nothing really to talk about. But what it says here, it says small animals in the road are dangerous because motorists sometimes lose control while trying to avoid the animal. When you see a small animal in the road, think of your own safety. Okay? Small animal defined, I mean, you pick, like, squirrel, cow. You, you figure out whatever that is. Um, don't try to dodge it unless you're, unless you're sure it's safe to do so. For a big game animal such as a moose, elk, or deer, which is significantly larger than your Prius, Um, I added that part. But just think, a moose and a Prius—that's a no-brainer. Who's going to win? You're like smart car. No, dumb car. Big animal. So, anyways, um, that's—I didn't mean that, like to be offensive. It's funny. Um, When you when you see a large animal on or near the road, slow down and proceed with caution. These are herd animals. And others are usually nearby. Amen to that. Like, guys, this is good. This is really good. Um, Hopefully you're enjoying this as much as I am. Animals can move into the path of a vehicle so quickly that it's impossible to slow down enough to safely avoid hitting them. In this case, you must consider running over it as the safest alternative, even though the crash may damage your vehicle and will likely kill the animal. Concentrate on keeping control of the vehicle before during, and after the collision. That got really dark. Um but, you know, welcome to Rock Harbor in Idaho. So, you know, people are like, oh, the Bible is just really, you know, it's like the Old Testament. I, have you read the driver's manual? Seriously. Like, things are going to die. Um, so, anyways, um, keep our attention forward. It, it says, like, don't swerve. Don't swerve. Don't go to the left or right. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes straight ahead for what God has you, for you. Let your gaze be on him only and him alone. For what has our gaze gets our glory. And don't say you're looking this way when your eyes are this way, your time's this way, your focus this way, and everyone else knows it. We're saying, I love the Lord. No. What direction are our eyes truly fixed? for when we swerve we sin when we swerve we sin and guess what our swerving and our sinning just doesn't impact us it impacts everybody with us everybody in the car of your life for you have family you have friends you have coworkers you have people in the car of your life and you need those people for those people can help you no one likes the backseat driver But everyone loves avoiding an accident. Everyone. You don't care where the information comes from. Even if it's not from your ocular cavity. And you saw something, you processed something, and you did something. You're thankful because someone spoke into your life rather than them being a consequence of a decision that you made. And we need that kind of community around us. We need people that will tell us there's trouble ahead. Hey, you should probably show, slow down. Men, as long as as often as we don't like that, we need that. We need it in the car. We need it in our life. For guess what? You need people that love you more than a friendship with you. Not one person said Amen or that's good. So I'll say it again. You need people in your life who care more about you than the friendship they have with you. You know what that means? That means that rather than saying, man, I don't want to hurt their feelings. So I know they're kind of going down a wrong path right now. But like, they just need me to be there for them. You know, you need someone to speak up and say, hey, dude, dude, dude. Hey, if you keep going this direction, it's not going to go well. Hey, man, like you're telling me you're not angry. But I need to tell you like you're angry. And and just so you know, like, you feel like you're passionate, I want to let you know, like, there's something inside you that you need to be careful of. Hey, you said you care about your marriage, but this behavior is not saying that you care about your marriage. You're saying that this is just a friend. Oh, you say he's just a friend, you know, or whatever. But... There's something else, or you're saying this, but I'm here to tell you. Rather than protecting and just saying, hey, I just just need to be a friend, you know, they haven't actually invited me into that. No, I care about you more than the friendship. So if we have to lose or redefine a friendship, I'm willing to do that because I... Sincerely love you and i'm asking for you to do that for me. I genuinely love you So i'm going to abhor the evil that might be in your life If you would please abhor the evil that's in my life and if it begins to spring forth, would you please Please tell me Would you please let me know? See that's what groups are about What i'm not saying is you're going to walk in the first week that you're there and they're going to go. Hey Tell me the worst thing you've ever done (laughs) Yeah I knew you were one of those. You know, it's not going to be like that. But we need to create conversations around scripture. We need to create conversations around life. We need to pr- sincerely pray for one another. We can't gather and and we can't say I have my group, I have some things. No, we need a structured environment. We live in a God-ordered world. We need structure to the relationships we have. We need consistency to the re- relationship. That we have because it does not take long to swerve it does not take long to veer And before you know it there's separation from the community around you and you will find yourself isolated And there is an evil one that's out there going That's what I was longing for That's what I was working for and I got them out by themselves and I got them away from it And I gave them some superficial things that made them feel safe, but they were not safe at all for no evil has won And we need to guard ourselves and we need to protect where we have our gaze fixed upon. Hey, we made it through two words, guys, in the verse. Supposed to make it through verse 11. We read verse 11. We ain't going to get there. Okay, it ain't even going to happen. Not even close to happening. We're going to maybe get through verse number 10. If we're going to abhor what is evil, the question that comes to my mind is what has your glare? What has your glare? What do you hate? See, what has your glare means? What are you giving the stink eye? What are you not liking? What are you, you know, mad dog? And what are you looking at and going, I do not like that. That makes me nauseous. See, if we're going to define what love is, we also need to define what love hates. So love is genuine. Guess what? God says it's okay to hate evil. So we need to abhor evil. That's part of what love is. To hate that that wants to come in to steal, to kill, and destroy. And before you start thinking that this license to hate means that you become the bad stuff patrol. You know what bad stuff patrol means? When you see bad stuff happening, you pull out your badge and say, I just want to let you know, this is like wrong, sinful. I'm just telling you, I'm part of the bad stuff patrol. I'm supposed to abhor what's evil. You need to change this in you. No, no, no. Abhorring what is evil means that you look at your... Wretched, sinful, hate-filled, selfish, prideful, arrogant, self-centered. Wow, does anybody else feel horrible about themselves? (laughs) Because I'm like, I can't believe I just said that to them. I should have said, Keith, yours. No, I didn't turn it into you. I said you, and then I didn't say me. So anyways, the reality is, is we have fallen short. And before we start to look at the lives of other people, we have to look at our own heart and say, have I, am I? And what evil exists in me that needs to be snuffed out? And how can the life and light of Jesus Christ be alive in me when this much evil, this much like self-centeredness, this much pride exists in me? For God, renew my mind, transform my heart. I want my worship to be good, pleasing, and acceptable. I want your will alive in my life. That's what it means to abhor evil. It does mean that we can have an anger towards something, a righteous anger. You know, when I think of righteous anger, I think of some of the passions that I have in my life. They're built out of having a righteous anger towards something. You know, like when I think about this community that I feel like, deeply called to meridian the treasure valley southern idaho our state like i feel extremely called here that i have this this part of me that just hates the fact that not everybody knows the love of jesus christ it hates the fact that there have been people that have been hurt by religion it hates the fact that people that have been hurt by church or people that they just don't know that jesus christ loves them they don't know and haven't found the freedom that's found in him like, it gets me going. It really bothers me. People that aren't willing to fight for their marriage, I just want them to fight for their marriage. People that are living away from the love of Jesus Christ, students that don't know the hope that comes in him. They're going to bed at night just wondering what's the purpose of this life. And I want to say, oh, I know the purpose. Here's the hope. Here's the life. And so until the whole world hears, I want to continue to spread the message of Jesus Christ. I'm not okay with having four services or now six services in two locations. I'm not okay with having planted a church locally and partnering with other churches being planted. I'm not okay with planting a church in Boston, the church in Kansas City, the church in Austin that we're currently in Florida, Montana, all the churches that we're partnering with, the global ones that we're partnering with, and the feeding center. I'm not okay with just that. There's more. Not so that we can become this really big church and we can have all these different things. No, 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 no. So that that next person that does not know the love and the hope of Jesus Christ, they can be freed. They can have the life alive inside of them that comes from him and him alone. They're not relying on a religion or some type of works or some kind of code of maybe try to figure it out. No, I want clarity. I don't want confusion around this It angers me that there's confusion about the love and what genuine love of jesus christ is and looks like Yep I'm angry And it can be righteous And it can produce good things I also get really angry and probably many of you too when people are marginalized When those who can't speak for themselves Are not spoken for We have a responsibility in it I read this this week The devaluing of any human life And the excuses thereof to justify The why behind it It will be held in full account One day before God Make no mistake This goes for all callousness In every human situation Whether that be with widows Orphans refugees racial racial prejudice and injustice etc And unequivocally the taking of the life of the unborn May we tremble at the thought of disregarding the creation of our great creator For life and death Is but in his hands This makes me righteously angry We have a responsibility as followers of Jesus for everyone to know the love and the heart and the hope that comes from Jesus Christ. We have to fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. I love how Matt Chandler, a pastor in Texas, says it. As the church, we must not say of abortion, this is murder, without saying to the pregnant woman, we will serve you. If we are doing the former without the latter, we aren't truly understanding the gospel. We must listen, love, foster, adopt, give money, babysit, donate supplies, mentor young women, and support in whatever ways that God has equipped us. We have to serve. We can't be righteously right. So you want to say, this is what the Bible says. I'm justified by whatever behaviors that I want to have, whatever I would like to post, whatever and however I would like to share. They need to know the truth. And I need to be very bold about that truth. Are you serving? Is your heart sincerely broken? Are you just looking for something to be mad at? Looking for some way to justify something else. Look at your life. Do you abhor the evil that exists in your life? Is the Bible clear? Do lives matter? All lives? Do we need to speak for those who can't speak for themselves? Do we need to serve them? Absolutely. And as followers of Jesus, we need to serve as Christ served He didn't come to prove his point. He came to be a servant of all. And he offered his life down in love. And behind every post or everything that you want to say, or however you want to say it and however you want to justify it, I want to let you know there are not five, there are not tens, there's not hundreds. There are thousands of women that live in our community that made a decision last year, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, about a life. And many of which live with guilt and shame and hurt, and you're forgetting about them in your post. And you might be forgetting about them in your comment. And they need to be comforted, and they need to be remembered, and they need to be graced, and they need to be loved, and they need to be served. So let's be cautious when we abhor evil. Let's do so in the right way. Because if we do it in the right way, guess what? Your love's genuine, and God will heal it, and he'll use you to bring comfort to someone and bring life to someone. We get the privilege that we get a partner with Stanton Healthcare. It's a local agency that has been saving lives and ministering to the hearts and the children and the women and the boyfriends and the one-night stands and the husbands of people for years. So when we've done love your neighbor, serve your city, we've come alongside them in service. When we've given financially, like this month, as they're trying to build a facility, we came alongside them and just said, what can we do to help and how can we inspire other churches to do the same? Other people in our community, how can we build this facility? How can we make this happen so that we can actually serve, not just have an opinion or have an agenda or justify our sin because something is greater? And they've served faithfully. And we've been able to come alongside and get to serve alongside with them to be the life of Jesus Christ. So don't just abhor what is evil. Don't flash some badge of self-righteous behavior and past experience. No, no. Hit your knees and open your hands and your schedule and your heart and your home to the children and the women and the spouse or boyfriend that has going through a really hard time. That's what it means to love genuinely. What is your gaze fixed on? What has your glare? And what has a grip on you? What are you gripping? What are you clinging to? You know... Hold fast to what's good. When I read Paul's words in Romans 6, he tells us about what we used to grip prior to Jesus. For those of you who have a relationship with God, there's a past that you have. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to your righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time of these things, of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin, You become slaves of God, and the fruit that you get there, it leads to sanctification, and to its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord, through Jesus Christ our Lord, by Jesus Christ our Lord. We have this life that comes in him. We used to be clinging to death. No, now we're clinging to life because of this grace that's been given to us. We're supposed to lay aside every weight that would so easily beset us, that would hold us back from running that race with endurance, with perseverance. Like, let's let go of the things. We need to, it's time to slip the grip. Slip the grip of your past. Slip the grip of doubt. Slip the grip of some sort of failure that maybe you've had. Just say, I don't need to hold on to that anymore. Those are the things of the past. That's not who I am. That's who I might have once been, but that's not who I am now. And because of the grace of God, I'm now a slave to Him. I'm fixed upon Him. I'm glaring, not at just the world and everything that's horrible. No, at my heart. I'm glaring at the evil inside of me. But my gaze is on Him and I'm looking down. That doesn't reflect Him. That needs to change because I'm a fixed. Upon him, and I want to grip and I'm gonna cling to that because it is so good, it's worth holding fast to. That's what it means to follow him. That's what it means to be a devoted follower of Jesus, not a judgmental Christian. I'm not gonna let that addiction hold on to me anymore. That lust, I'm not gonna chase after the lust and the pride can so easily beset me, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight for the holiness of Christ alive in me. How are, Most of us are church people in here, right? We don't have addictions, really. If we reflect our community in any way, shape, or form, there are dozens of people in this room addicted to alcohol. There are dozens of people addicted to some type of drug, whether it be prescription, whatever it would possibly be. There are dozens of people in this room that are addicted to gaming. Now's not a time to laugh. It's a reality. This is not a kid thing. This is like no matter what age, we, we find an addiction, we find something, whether it be... Watching movies, whether it be Netflix, whether it be something, we, we have this addiction that gets us to our safe place, that gets us some me time, that gets us some focus, we, where we can turn off this so we can turn on what we want that will fill our flesh. And I'm not condemning, like, entertainment's horrible. I'm just saying, don't let it be an idol for you. If there's an addiction that's there, like, identify that there's an addiction there. It has my gaze. It has my focus. It has a grip upon me, and now I'm going to glare at it. And I'm not going to let go of this. I want to, by the grace of God, be freed from this. Spending. There are some that you are gripped by materialism. And you just spend, and you don't spend a lot because you go to Marshalls. But you are addicted to spending. There is an addiction there for you. It makes you feel something. It frees you from something. It does something for you. We don't talk about that, right? Everybody spends a little bit. It's a reality. It separates. And it needs to be identified. I just got back from Ethiopia on Friday night with my wife. And while we were there, we got the chance to spend some time at a ministry called Mission 1010. And at Rock Harbor, we've been able to partner with them on two occasions, help them out in some different projects. They create an environment. They have an orphanage. They have a feeding center. They work with women to empower them because they're marginalized and create businesses and get their families on the ground. Lots of men leave relationships and all sorts of things, and they get to minister deeply we got to provide them with some goats for their Christmas celebration. Like, I don't know. We invest outreach money in a lot of ways. Goats are awesome. Like, they love goats. Not to play with, to eat. Okay? they're like, hey, man. they're like, no, we're eating them. Like, when they come in, they're like, oh, yay, we got to play. No, they're like, it's almost dinner. You know? I mean, that's how it is. And they got the privilege. We got a, per- well, we didn't buy a handful. We bought, like, arms full of goats for them to be able to have a Christmas celebration. And part of that Christmas celebration, we got to buy every kid a brand-new pair of tennis shoes many of which have never owned tennis shoes, period, but also have never owned their own brand new pair. Just crazy. Kids thinking they could run up walls. You know, like like Michael Jordan, LeBron James, nobody cares. Um, But Michael Jordan, they were like wanting to be just like him, you know. And, you know, LeBron actually plays on my team right now, and I'm just trying to get through it all. It's just the process. I need counseling. Um, But I already dealt with Kobe and Shaq. I just, you know. I want Kurt Rambus. Anyways, um, like two people got that. Thanks, man. Um, <laughs> but they're getting these gifts and all of this, and all of a sudden, this one kid, he's feeling this pressure inside of him to leave the orphanage. He runs away. He goes out. He sold his shoes for $1.50. The orphanage director looks for him for about a day, day and a half. He found him, he'd been sniffing glue. Didn't know where he was. And the second he saw him, the boy reached for him, grabbed him, and just wept in his arms. Tears coming down his dirty face on the same street that he left. Why? You know, there's an evil one that wants to come and steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he found himself where he used to be. And as much as he hated it, and as much as you hate those same things in your life, you find yourself there. But there's one that he wants to come and give you life, and he wants to give you an abundant life. And when he brings you in your arms, in his arms, it's everything. and it fills you in ways, and it brings a peace to you, because you're no longer in the grip of that evil one that wants to isolate and separate. You're the one that wants to bring you hope. You're with one that wants to deeply root your life in the things that actually matter. And when those addictions and those afflictions come into our life, we need to be deeply rooted. We want the roots of our life to be deeply rooted in the affection rather than the affliction. Let our roots of affection Sink deeper than those shallow, you know, the shallow afflictions that live in our life, the addiction, the relationship struggle, whatever it might be. Let's let our roots press through that, go deeper into the affection that God has, the true and genuine love to abhor that evil that lives on the surface. And let's hold fast deeply to that which is good. For God is good and he wants good for you. But you get that by fixing your gaze upon him, by glaring at the evil that resides inside of us. This not in this world. Stop just hating the world. Hate the world that's inside of us. To be gripped and rooted fully in him.